0: Hello everyone and welcome to The Unlock. I'm Adam Delahanty, founder at Ghost, here as always with Joey DeBruin, founder at Backdrop. How's it going, Joey? Doing great. Happy to be here. Amazing. Good to see you. So on The Unlock, the goal of each episode is always the same. Decode how a cool project actually got built. We get into the muck, the uncomfortable stories, and ideally we come away with stories and lessons that applies to really anyone building anything. Thank you, as always, to our sponsors at Seed Club for supporting this project. And funny, who would you guess is our guest today? It's Jess, the founder of Seed Club, the Web3 Accelerator and Fund. They just finished their sixth cohort focused on all things consumer crypto. They capped it off with the event, which was really one of the buzziest and most inspiring days. Uh, of crypto demos and experiments I've ever seen, uh, maybe in my life. So this was a really fun conversation. Joey, what did you take away from our convo with, with Jess?
1: Yeah, you know when you meet someone's parents for the first time and like finally they make sense. I kind of feel like this episode was like that, where once you understand the origin story of Seed Club and kind of this this group chat where people are just kind of authentically following their curiosities to cool projects—you kind of get, you know, everything they've been able to do since then. So for me, that was that was the aha moment. Yeah, exactly.
0: No, it was a lot of fun. So um, let's—we're so honored that that Jess joined us for this, and uh, let's get into it. Please enjoy this conversation with Jess from Seed Club. We're here today with Jess, the instigator, the builder of Seed Club. Which oddly enough is a sponsor of this pod. Jess is also the host of Building at the Edges, one of my most listened to spaces for chapter journeys and deep conversations, and all about making cool stuff in Web three. And we're so excited to
2: have you here today, Jess. Welcome. Stoked to be here. I want to make sure that I'm here not because we gave you money to go do this, but you really want to talk to me. Is that is that right? Yeah, we really want, want to question. talk to you. Yeah.
0: So. For these the few people who do not know, I'd love to just ask: Can you give us the the basics on
2: Seed Club? What's its purpose, and, and what, is it, what does it consist of today? Sure, I, I think we describe Seed Club as a, a network accelerator. We help builders go from zero to one in specifically building in the consumer crypto space. Sort of been a bit of a journey to get here. I think our thesis from day one was that there's an immense amount of value in social capital and cultural capital, and uh, that even many of your favorite large cap crypto tokens are, are valuable in many ways because of the stories and the narratives and the beliefs that exist around them. And uh, from the earliest days, we've sort of been pulling on those threads more directly, first with social tokens and then NFTs and then DAOs. We sort of started to see this layering of new tools and uh, new ways people were using tools. And we think that those ultimately bundle up into what will, I guess what currently is a fairly small niche in our space, which is consumer crypto, but what we believe will be a very massive category in the, in the not so distant future. So we run accelerator cohorts. We're on our sixth one right now where we open up applications and we get our community to help us find and select and uh, identify really great talent. And then we yeah, help them go through a three-month program that is less of a program, more of deep partnership and building with them and connecting them into our amazing network. And then we host a, an unhinged demo day every every cohort that for those of you who have experienced it, it's very different than what you might expect from a traditional accelerator type cohort. And I hope we can deliver on something similar again. We also have a venture DAO that was launched sort of in the midst of all of this that is really focused on on-chain organizations and I have a wonderful team and, and community over there that has been deploying capital consistently through the bull and the bear market. And I'm uh, really excited to continue to support founders both through our accelerator and through a bit more of a traditional venture DAO
0: what's the scale? How many folks are in the current cohort? How many
2: projects have been through it? There are over 100 through the, the first uh, five batches. We have 10 teams in our, our current batch. So we're working with 20 or so amazing members of those teams on a, on a weekly basis right now. So on the Unlock,
0: what we do, and we're new to this, but so we, we love to zoom in on... Some of the critical moments uh, in your journey, in the journey of Seed Club, and and talk about how they really came to be. Sometimes these sticky, uncomfortable stories and details, without the sheen of a press release. And so, yeah, I'd love to to dive into or identify what what one of those inflection points could be. So, what comes up for you there?
2: The sheen of a press release. I laugh at that a little bit because I feel like.
0: I mean, that would never be you. Not you know a, yeah. Exactly. Yes. <laughs>
2: That's sort of polish we have there? I, I mean, I think so for, I've been working in this space for, I guess, years now since 2017 and, and really saw like the, the end of a bull market and then into a, a bear market and, and had just been fascinated with this idea of ownership in networks, I had been involved in social media from the early days and really felt the the excitement of new networks and the the opportunities they would provide. And then also some of the the downsides of couple large players being able to control the rules and, and for us to invest in our heartbeats and the creating content and, and value in these networks or inability to to participate in that value creation. And so that was like the original hook that got me into crypto, but I didn't I didn't know anybody. I was I had a few friends that were doing some interesting things. I mean, incredible people, but the, the things that I was working on in the early days, like it was part of an early security token offering, very much not a thing that, I think, deeply got me excited. And so as the the sort of years went on and, and I had left the projects I was building on, there was, I, just, I saw just a, a bunch of friends that I had met in the space playing around with the the new tools that had developed since, I think, the last bull market. And I think for people to cast your your sites back far enough, like Uniswap wasn't a thing in 2017. And, and the way there's centralized exchanges were the only thing. And it was very hard to launch a token. And it felt like a very distant and, and untouchable thing, I think, for many people. And as 2018 and 2019 went on, all of a sudden, new tools really started to, to unlock the long tail of tokens. And uh, new tools allowed for people to to make things. And I just witnessed a lot of my friends playing around with things like these, these toys, social tokens, things like Roll, things like Uniswap, the ability to, to token gate access to to channels. And, and just saw this emerging interesting thing that Felt like there might be something there but wasn't really something there and so the genesis of seed club is really the exploration of how how these the space might evolve and and how people were using these tools and i think the the fabled genesis story of seed club is getting 11 people into a telegram chat so i think maybe maybe that is a worthwhile discussion to get into yeah i'm excited to
1: talk about this story because i feel like a lot of people are familiar with seed club and i think this story is is also somewhat well known, but I'm not sure I even know the details. And, and most importantly, I don't think I really know what like Jess pre-C club really was like. So maybe can, can you like walk us into setting up like well, how did this telegram cube come about? What were you doing before that? Like really give us the, the the messy details about how that moment happened.
2: Yeah, I well, I think I gave a, maybe a bit of a, a preamble there. But in, in 2020, I think I was sort of like Really trying to figure out what to do next, and it was this pandemic? You remember that thing that was kind of happening, and I think I just moved and in, in, into the woods, and so there was sort of this like, I don't know, spaciousness and 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 a freedom to kind of explore that a good bear market can kind of bring out of you And you're like, well, what's that? Like, what what am I going to do with with my time? And yeah, I think very deeply convicted on this being a space that I was just incredibly passionate about but not quite sure where to find my footing in it and I think that's what I would characterize much of my career being like that like smart capable human being that can talk my way into a lot of things but not really finding that thing that was that really clicked that I just wanted to wake up every single morning and invest every bit of my soul into and I would love to say that that was like the inspiration from day one that I just had this deep passion for it but it really I think started out as just having space to experiment and seeing a lot of the people that I had, had built relationships with and become friends with in, in the space over the last sort of year and a half, just doing interesting new things. So things that were happening in and around that time were like Alex launched his Alex token to raise money so he can move to, to Silicon Valley. It was this crazy dude doing this crazy thing. There was Amin and Peter Pan were doing interesting things with tokens and tweets and tokens and access to their time. Ruben was doing something similar. And then Brian Flynn launched something around his, his, his newsletter. And so those are things that were just interesting to me. And, and I use that as a way of like jumping into conversations with these folks and, and realize that there was a lot of similar energy out there, which is like, we don't know what the heck is going on here, but here's some cool new buttons for us to click and push and do stuff on chain. And let's just go kind of figure it out. So I think amongst just this passion for seeing how we might reinvent ways of people participating in networks through also i think seeing a lot more of a i'm not a technical person i don't code blockchain stuff as you can see by my answer right there just this this ability to kind of see new tools maybe it's the first consumer application is really emerging on, on crypto that yeah really created a new pot, set of possibilities in a place where i might actually be be useful it's sort of like a, a side tangent a thing that we were uh, running was a, a couple friends were more of sort of workshops that the, this we would bring small groups of people together in either forums or masterminds. We, we didn't, we called them circles at the time. Something that we're still doing today at C-Club actually. And I just saw the immense value that you get from having consistent touch points with a small group of people who like, were really invested in your success. So I think having done that through, I mean, it had been probably eight months or nine months prior to even thinking about C-Club. I think it was like a a meaningful experience to have because I had just this deep confidence in being able to go do, that if I just brought really great people together, we'd be able to go create value. So maybe that's jumping ahead a little bit, but toys, consumer applications, people doing cool things, nobody knowing what the hell they're doing, kind of created this this gap for doing something. I I think that's actually a, a big part where, I think it's really easy to come, if you come into, when there's something new and nobody knows what they're talking about, there's just this wonderful open space, right? And for, for me, like, I don't want to go out and, and misrepresent myself as somebody who knows something that I don't know. And I think that can kind of get in the way of, of maybe throwing your, myself into things on occasion. And there's, there's maybe reasons to say that other people are better at doing a thing. I often just tell a story of, I grew up playing soccer and I was not a very good soccer player. And I was very much the guy that was like, okay, if we're down a goal and there's a few minutes left, get me the hell off this field, get that other guy on the field so he can go score goals. And when I think about the eventual sort of growth of C club, I very much feel like the guy who wants to get on the field and like put me in coach type thing. So there's a, a dynamic of, of not knowing and of this thing all being new and that people are kind of playing around with stuff that I think just created a bit of a space that I felt I could really s- step into.
1: So there were all these people doing cool stuff in crypto at that time. You mentioned Ruben and um, Alex and a bunch of people that I think, yeah, I'm familiar with this well. So you, you created this telegram group with those people in it and the message to those people like if I'm imagining you just sending a message to Ruben it's like hey Ruben I saw you doing cool stuff would you like to join a telegram group with other people doing cool stuff what was like what was the pitch at that point like what what were, what were you telling people to do
2: yeah I mean I think it, in a this new emerging thing where people are really just playing around with stuff they want to talk about it and they want to, they're just eager to explore what other people are, are thinking as well so I think I think I can blame Brian Flynn for most of this, quite frankly. He blames me for first helping him set up or for encouraging him to set up his newsletter that I think was the basis for a lot of things he went to do. And I'll blame him for uh, encouraging me to step into uh, and launch C-Club and of course blame with a ton of love. And he he was just instrumental in in connecting me with a bunch of these folks. So we started as one-on-one conversations. I, I talked to anybody who was doing anything interesting in this sort of social token space at that time, I talked to. And it was just one-on-one conversations. There was no Telegram chat at this time. And so I think people were able to you know, see my earnest interest, build a bit of a relationship first. And I, what I saw was that so many of the conversations I was having were very similar. People were having similar challenges. They're similar questions. And I think, I think that I hope continues to be embedded in C-Club is, is this idea of like, we don't know, right? Like we're not here to go tell you how to go do stuff. You're not ever going to see templates. We still don't have templates in, in the C-Club world. The, the idea really was that if we come together, we're going to be in a better position to go figure this out. And so that was kind of the, the general message. So I spoke to you all individually. Let's just do this thing, come together, talk about social tokens. And, and the conversation really was about how do we go, how do we go figure this out? There's like, how do, are there business models here? What are the right structures to do here? How, what are the, the more recent experiments we're doing? And there were a lot of different, does a token represent time or, or some other unit of account? Is it, is it access? There's open questions like that. And so it was easy to get those folks who were, you know, all interesting in their own ways into a group. And all of a sudden I had 11 dope human beings in a a chat that was super active, very topical, very relevant, small, very curated. It wasn't open to anybody. It was open to only folks that I had brought in. And very quickly the conversation turned to like, how can we do this at a bit of a a wider scale um, so that we can have more touch points, more edges, more people pushing at more edges, so we can learn faster together and very quickly out of that that chat group this idea of a social token incubator emerged and there's sort of like this fun dynamic that exists when you're amongst really talented smart people that they just tell you to go do things and say yeah you can go do it like who the hell is going to go do it of course you can go do it and then you start to believe it and you're like oh maybe maybe I can go do it and maybe this is a thing I can go do somebody who who has a lot of experience with self-doubt around launching and shipping the thing, I'm sure a lot of people can identify with that as well, part of the, the creative process. And it just felt like the dynamic that emerged by getting great people in at this earliest stage, really with a, an earnest desire to learn, created a sense of momentum that it it just, again, pulled, pulled this thing out of the ether rather than it being something that we had to kind of push and make exist. I
0: love this. I'm sensing a tension between the... Confidence of like forming the group itself, and then the insecurity of actually putting something out into the world at first. And yeah, what was so special about this group? Why was it so fertile? And
2: then what gave you the
0: confidence to
2: make something real? So I think the beautiful thing about building in a bear market is people are there because they truly care and they're passionate about something. And so, and I think there's also this like weird dynamic that exists, maybe it exists in, in all categories, but in crypto, it's like really pronounced where. If you are just a general person who's interested in crypto, you're probably going to be attracted to the loudest voices in the room. And in crypto, that is the speculators, that is pump and dumpers, that is just the, the the narratives really take take hold. And in bull markets, it's also full of people who are late stage. And you kind of have to go through that. You have to navigate your way through that. I think we're seeing a lot of NFT folks navigate their way through that right now. We've come in the last last while. But in the core there, there's people who've been building for a decade or in some cases who are doing it for reasons because they just deeply care about some outcome they're trying to drive or some potential of the new technology and so being able to sort of bury your way through the outer crust of of this sort of space and get into to this group of builders i think they're often referred to i think was really a big part of that dynamic like i i, I felt like very much on the outside in early part of 2017 2018 and then all of a sudden This group felt like the inside of something right folks in that in that chat just they had been building and they knew a lot of people and they had a lot of social capital with a lot of other people and they had a lot of opinions and the the goal wasn't go make money or let's launch a token or any of that sort of stuff it kind of just created this sort of a time and place and great human beings that created this fertile sort of group to to jam in this is a slight aside but
0: I, I need to ask you this like jess what is it about you that makes you a great host why do people trust you and want to be in a space like that with you maybe they don't but what are some of the traits that that make you really effective as
2: a kind of community builder oh man i mean that's a question i would have to ask i probably ask joey a little bit more than than me because i feel like i mean i think like there's the like career advice I think forever is to you know, find the thing that you are uniquely gifted at and just like lean in on that. And you, there's some things for me just come effortlessly and other things just like don't, if I had to balance a checkbook, like good God, right? Like just no, but throw me into a, a group of 30 people and say, you got to go do a talk on XYZ in 10 minutes go. Like I would much prefer that in some cases, then give me 10 weeks to prepare for it. So there's sort of, a I think, just a, an aptitude. And, and desire to be in amongst people and and sort of generate and, and create and sort of hold space. And uh, I think I can get, Uh I think I'm curious enough. I think some, some people think I'm funny. My wife definitely doesn't think I'm funny. I mean, I think she does, but she just says, I don't, I don't know, there's a dynamic there that we could get into. And yeah, and I think it's something that I'd like truly, truly care about and, and have strong opinions on. And I've been, I think I love chatting to my dad about crypto right because he he's always he's like he doesn't know what the hell i'm doing i hear so many different stories of what he's told other people what i do which is just fantastic but he he works works for bitcoin right he works for bitcoin well no it's not even that man like it's not not even that but you can sort of trace back this like just deep fascination with innovation and new technologies and, and networks. Like I ran a, a lawn chair company to pay my way through university and I had a fax machine and I put ads in newspapers and then I saw the internet and I was like, oh my God. And I sort of have this, this ever sort of deep intrigue in how these networks were sort of evolving and having an impact on the world. And, and I have been infatuated with anybody writing about that, anybody building in and around that that's through the advent of social media and I've worked in music and, and did stuff in sort of the finance world all around these sort of things. So I think there's like a, I have been building towards doing this for my entire career in very indirect ways, even hosting mastermind conversations, the ability to, how do you get good at, at podcasting or hosting conversations? You have to go do it a lot, but like you just have to do it a lot and, and you will get better at it. And so I, I taught at universities before I'd done all these things where I've been in a, in a position where I need to capture people's attention and move them through sort of a learning journey and tell an interesting story. And, and all those are benefited by being deeply interested in, in a, a fairly narrow thing, though it had many permutations and, and explorations. So, and then now I just like, literally my job is to talk to people. I, I, I remember probably a couple of years ago, right? I told my wife, I was like, all I really want to do is have a career where I just have to talk to people. So let me just go talk to people and I think that maybe only half the story I think I, I love being in the depths of trying to problem solve with people as well but that's kind of what I do right now I talk to investors I talk to teams I talk to our community I talk to folks like you I get to interview folks it's I mean god I don't know I don't know what else I do now frankly
1: I mean I have an answer to that question about you which is I mean maybe is also I can pose as a question that I've Always wanted to ask as well, which is that if I had to answer that question, why Jess is a great community builder and someone that people just naturally want to be around, it's it's because I mean, at least, at least the feeling that I have, it's like I think Sea Love is an incredible company. I think Jess is building a, a massive, enduring business, but it really never feels like that's even the goal. I think people have an incredibly high sensitivity, bullshit sensor. That's one thing that I really believe very strongly about people. And so anyone who has ulterior motives or is, I don't know, just kind of not being authentic, like you can sniff it out in like very, very well. And so when, when I'm around Jess, like I just get the feeling that someone that is just following curiosity is having a good time living as you normally would. And there is this company, this amazing company that's being pulled out of you in that process. But it, but it almost feels like it just feels very natural. So I, I guess that my question around that is we care a lot about narratives and the kind of typical narrative that's one of our reasons for doing this podcast. And I think one of those is that founders, great founders, like you have this vision, this kind of wake up in the middle of the night, like you see the 10 years ahead of you. And then it's just kind of like laying the bricks to that place all along the way. And I guess like even with this story about the the telegram group and just like, hey, I'm interested in these cool things. Then people get put into a telegram group and then it's kind of like, hey, maybe this is the thing to build. Maybe it's an accelerator for a social token. So it, it feels like not really like that narrative that you typically hear. So yeah, how do you think about that? I guess you also work with a bunch of founders and and kind of in that moment as well. So what's, what's your kind of belief at this point on how kind of great companies come to be?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's probably far more nuanced narratives to how great companies come to be than, than most media would want to re- report on. So I think from, a, from my perspective, there's that, that, that image of like the mountaintop, right? And there's like the first peak that you're, you're walking towards or running towards. And then there's like the ultimate peak that you're trying to get to. At least for me, that ultimate peak is shrouded in clouds. And I think unclear in, in its manifestations in, in like the specific sense. But I, I think like probably anybody wanting to climb a mountain, you're standing at the base of that mountain going, hell, I want to get to the top, right? Like, like this is going to be the coolest thing once I, I get to the top and I see where I need to go to kind of get to the next vantage point to see the next thing. And I think in, in, in the space that we're building in, where there is like a, a common and I think fair critique of it is that there's a, a big search for product, a search for utility here. There, there's a sense that we have these new tools that can manifest in new potential business models, but that are still very early in the exploration of, of what those things might be. I think we've seen even over the two and a half years of our existence a lot more clarity emerge there. But I still think there's there's a ton of clarity that needs to to come to it. And so, I think it would be yeah a, a mistake to say that we have this vision of exactly what the world is going to look like in detail in in ten years. Because I think anybody who says that right now is frankly full of shit. Nobody knows what that's going to look like. But there is this general sense of the the way that that the internet and that businesses are built and that financing is done and that the value that people are, are you're committing to whether it's a Twitter or the the next early stage thing is is not being represented. That there's just some really worthwhile threads to pull on, and that if we're able to go and and build a an enduring and economically powerful network that has some of these ideals embedded in them, that's going to be a very worthwhile process for us to to go after. And, and I think it, it what happens as we start to build down that path is like oh, the world changes. Right? There's new narratives that emerge, and new tools that emerge. There's new SBFs that emerge and, and sort of change the the trajectory of things and being leaving optionality, I think, while while probably not the best advice for people building SaaS products or maybe many other tools or businesses, is very much the right move for C Club. We've been able to to surf the the various shifting yeah I think mm-hmm. narratives and visions very well over the last little while, and my hope is we continue to do that again, trying to to work towards this thing that, that I think values the network and people more than, than just the capital. And, and there's still like an immense amount of work to do and figuring out exactly how to go do that. So vague, hazy direction and like a relentless pursuit of trying to I mean, test our own bullshit and, and get clear on, on what the right thing to do next is. And I, I just value deeply having a team and having a community and, and, and investors that are supportive of that and I think see that vision as well. Yeah,
1: I mean, I can, maybe I'll try to even you down one more time on some, some beliefs like the, because I, I think this, this analogy to a, a mountain is a really good one. Like you're, you you can not quite see the top and something is higher than you are now. So you might as well go, go there. Maybe you get to a, a peak and it's not the big peak. It's a little peak and you have to climb down. So yeah, I think that, that analogy is a good one. I think we've ourselves have been through a bunch of iterations and pivots. I know you guys have also kind of done a bunch of different stuff, wandering your way towards the summit. Like one of the beliefs that, that I have is that you know, it's easy to get lost in these kind of big grand visions and trying to articulate it. But if you have a view towards something that is much more valuable than anything you've built before, it's probably a good idea to to think long and hard about building that thing. Like, even if you can't necessarily see all the way to the top from it, or maybe it doesn't feel as clean, like just go out and deliver more value to people than you've ever delivered before. I'm wondering if you have any kind of like Little things like that that go in your head as as you're thinking about going through these and any kind of mantras like that 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 stick out to you.
2: Okay, so w- where it really comes from, I think is, yeah, I think there is sort of an, an ideology behind all of this at least. Like, I'm clearly not trying to go build an, an angelist competitor, like that just feels very meh, meh to me. It's just not interesting. But and so so yeah, there's sort of that that, that direction. But I think there's just this absolute infatuation with trying to do something awesome. I feel like the opportunity that C Club is is just this huge gift that doesn't come around often, right? Right timing, incredible people came around it. We've been blessed with the having resources to be able to go and build, and it's a thing that I just I get to wake up every morning. My calendar is chock full of talking to the most incredible people all day long, all week long. It's it's like just such an incredible opportunity, and so that 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 far distance sort of ideological drive is is sort of. I guess, supported on a, on a day-to-day basis of, of just this desire to honor this gift, this opportunity that has been put in front of us. And, and that gift includes just the trust and belief of a surprisingly large number of people. My day-to-day, I often go for walks with my dog and, and I'm just infatuated in those moments with trying to solve the next problem, which is both the the immediate thing that we need to go do, but also how do these things fit together in a way that I think will actually create a lot of value for our community and our network in the future. So yeah, I think it's a constant like gut checking my beliefs and and the realities of where we are, and and I think both updating that that longer term vision. Maybe it's not fair for me to say I don't have that sort of I don't have that in, in detail what that tenure is, but I know the pieces. I know that I know what needs to come together roughly to make this work. I know where the big gaps are. I know what we need to go do over the next three months or six months or 18 months. And, but I think, yeah, there's still such a a need for optionality in all of those things that I think requires a deep infatuation with the problem space. And so mantras aren't coming to my head. It's just like, there's a billion problems. There's so many things to go figure out. And for me, it needs to fit together in a way. Like, I feel like they're just gears that to be confident in, in raising money or giving you an answer or giving advice or supporting one of our teams like but the things don't seem to fit together for me I'm just going to to ruminate extensively on that problem space until I can figure out how how they do and that's sort of led to a lot of evolutions in our business model and, and how we operate and what we focus on uh, because I realized that one of those gears was out of place and, and needed to rethink what we're doing.
1: So you mentioned there's all these people in the chat right you're talking about what's going on and then it becomes some somewhat self-evident to the group, or at least that's what it sounds like that an accelerator, an incubator to, to really help like these kinds of new experiments come to life in smarter ways. Like that's a big opportunity. So that, that all kind of makes sense. What about you that does it right? Cause you're all in the chat. Was it self-evident that you would go out and, and lead that
2: thing or, or how did that kind of like come to be? I think part of the magic of those groups is that there's somebody willing to step up and just do the thing. I think clear to me that that was going to be me from, I wanted it, I think, to be me from from day one. I remember there being a, a bit of a dance around how fully I should take on that that role. Because I think there's a sense that, okay, we bring people together with a shared vision, things will get done. And I think for anybody who's paid attention to the DAO space over the last little while, I realize that's very clearly not the case. You need people who are going to invest their, their heartbeats in a thing. But I think there's, there's sort of like maybe two moments that, that are relevant here. One, I remember writing the Hello World post for C Club, which I think is still up on, on Medium of all places. And I remember just like ro- rolling the, the, that idea over my head for way too long and just feeling the social pressure of all these awesome people who are here to, to just get something out. And in my usual, usual way I write blog posts is it's like 1130 at night. And I'm like, oh shit, I got to get this done before I go to bed tonight. And a thing comes out. And I think one of the benefits of having those people there was that I was able to kind of ship this thing in a very imperfect form and get incredible feedback right? If you're if you're working with people that you, uh, I think, admire and trust, putting something out in an unfinished state is kind of good. You get like really great feedback on it. And so that was a, a bit of a dynamic of like, okay, well, if I just like do, do enough to get this ball rolling, there'll be some shaping and, and smoothing that will be done here. And then I can have high confidence of shipping that out into the world. I just did this thing, a bunch of smart people that I admire, read it, gave feedback on it. Hell yeah, I'm going to publish it. I can't not publish it. A bit later on, I remember I was sort of feeling this need to get approval and buy-in from everybody or get everybody's involvement in everything. And this is maybe a bit later than just the foundation of, of of the actual first cohort. But I remember Jacob from Zora in that chat being like, Jess, just go do the fucking thing. I think that was like very burned into my memory. And and for for better and worse, I think there's some some folks were probably put off by that to a degree. And it it led to some challenges, but overall 98% of of, I think the folks really want somebody to step in and and take control and push things forward. And at the very least you're just gonna have more people who are leaning in and taking responsibility. So yeah, I I remember that conversation.
0: (laughs) I wanted to ask about like that social pressure, right? These folks in this telegram group, like they weren't strangers and they weren't close friends. You obviously wanted their support and approval can you speak to like the distance there and maybe why it was, it was perfect if I'm, if I'm onto something there, like how did the composition of that group inspire you? I mean,
2: they're just, they're cool people that again, like this, this idea of feeling very much on, on an outside, working my way into if the center is like just the, people who've been building, making things in their own ways, sort of embodied a, a way of building in a space that that I really admired. These aren't folks that have like massive followings on the internet or who have launched big things. I was talking to a team the other day asking about how to choose investors. And I think one of the things that we've done incredibly well is just been very selective about who comes into into the C-Club world. And so they're asking, how? Give me the, the formula. What are the, the processes to do that? And, and I'm like not useful in the sense because for so long it was really just driven by like vibes. Like, is this person interesting? Can I get into a good conversation with them? And I think the people who came around Seed Club in the early days were all people like that, right? They're just people that I wanted to, to spend time with. And, and if I had a conversation with somebody that didn't sort of match that, then we just weren't going to go do something together. So I think it's as simple as that. It's not quite build with friends, but, but build with people you aspire to be more like or, or around. There's something about vibes that are connected to
0: incentives too, which we were talking about earlier, where if you take the old Charlie Munker quote, show me the incentives, I'll show you the outcome. There's something here that's like, I can feel your incentives viscerally. And if they're not aligned with mine, goodbye. Goodbye.
2: Yeah, I think in so many cases, that's very stark. And I think that's wonderful in, in many ways. And but also it sort of comes down to, I think a lot about how, we go from those early days into something that is more scalable? And how do we spread that culture in, in a way that is in line with, I think, the bigger vision that we have and the, and the types of things we can do in crypto? And I think there's just an interesting tension that we've had to play with there and I think continue to, to dance with and probably will continue to dance with for for some period of time.
1: Yeah, there's something that's at least from the outside, I think has been, I know you've mentioned it as well before, the magical about seed club, which is just kind of That like pulse, that heartbeat of just ship something cool with cool people to cool people and just rinse and repeat over and over and over again. And I guess we've talked about one of those moments, or multiple, I guess, the start of the Telegram chat, the start of Seed Club, like, and then every single cohort thereafter. And maybe like, I'd love to hear you just talk about that a bit. I know that. Some people are skeptical of, of kind of even cohort models in general. Nobody's going to go out there and compete with Y Combinator or whatever. But I I guess like from the outside, it's just been pretty awesome that every moment you get to kind of gather your learnings and ship it again and do it over and over again. So yeah. How do you think about that?
2: Yeah, I think that the, the cohort model, it was the smartest thing that we decided to go do for a number of reasons, but probably the, the most basic reason is that you get to do it again and again and again. And being in market with something interesting on a regular basis is just like such an important part of building an early brand and a community. There's a sense of momentum that comes from it that I think is like very clearly articulated even in the the titles of our cohorts. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, sort of an inevitability that feels like exists after that as well. We don't do any traditional marketing. What we do is try to make things that create value for our community. And I think I'm excited that we have some plans to continue to, to scale that out. And I think there, there's like the sense of just we had Marty on our from from Pool Suite on our most recent cohort call. He talks about making internet toys, and that his entire brand was built around this idea of just shipping fun things that he really liked to to his community. So I think there's like a a lot of inspiration in that. But of course, the, there's also this sort of very nature of a brand new undiscovered or yet to be defined category that I think requires us to be very humble in articulating what we know. And cohorts allow us to kind of batch those, those types of, of learnings up in a very unique way. If you look at the first batch to the third, second and third, they're, they're so different. And I, I talked to, to one of our strategic contributors. And he, he always says, C Club reinvents itself every six months. And I guess that's the way it's going to be for the next little while. And I don't know if I was saying that was a good thing or a bad thing, but I think it's an absolutely essential thing for us to be useful. And yeah, it allows us to a couple times a year, we go out and wave a flag and say, if you're building something in this general direction, we want to hear from you. And then we get to go and filter that down to what we believe the most interesting, compelling, timely products or teams that are building towards this thesis are, at least to work deeply with them for, for three months. And, And like, deeply in the nitty gritty I think compared even compared to more traditional venture capital the amount of context and depth and learning and and hopefully support that we give our teams is is unparalleled because of this container that we create where we're able to invest our entire selves in the the support of of this thesis and these teams and for this amount of time it just creates a ton of value there's a a compounding effect that happens not only across cohorts as we learn and and as the space evolves but also within the cohorts on a week-to-week basis that yeah, it's just incredibly valuable. That, that probably is true for for other accelerators as well. I think um, maybe if they're a bit more generalist, I think we're excited to be playing in, in this little niche right now, consumer crypto. We're going to look back on this in 10 years and say consumer crypto as a niche was just like such a, a wild thing because it's going to be big. I've had the pleasure of sitting in Fred Wilson's office for a couple hours. We talked about the early internet. Like this guy invested in geocities, folks. He talked about the way you made money in the, in the 90s was investing in infrastructure and the way you made money in the 2000s was consumer. And you sort of saw these paradigm shifts and flips that were happening and really felt this experience of feeling way too early to build something consumer oriented before the infrastructure was there, but how quickly it flipped and how how massive and how much momentum existed around when that flip happened. And so, yeah, I think we're we're excited to be going deep in what is a slightly bigger category for us, but it's still like a little baby category for the rest of the world. And I like hopefully it will allow us to, to be useful to the right type of people over the next little while that can go create a ton of value. I think in terms of this feeling,
1: this heartbeat, in some ways unique to building so, Accelerator, right? you have a cohort, but now you work with a ton of consumer crypto brands that are maybe building a network a game, an app, whatever.
2: Does that insight carry over? I think traditional marketing doesn't work. And it definitely doesn't work in crypto. We've talked to a founder of a very large network and a very large consumer product, who's had a big insight over the last little while was that one of the biggest mistakes was hiring a traditional C-suite, CMO, marketing suite, growth marketing team, that the, the people that you attract in through those mechanisms are just not good users. And that the, the good users are not ones you can attract through a, a display ad on, on CoinMarketCap. And so, the question then becomes like well how do you go get attention and how do you go build a brand and i think the you know the answer has been for the last 20 years that you go make cool stuff and you give it to people and you get them excited about it and you represent your knowledge and belief and passion for the category you're playing in by making cool things that make people go oh cool that's awesome right and and i think when you look at it through that lens there's like this huge design space that exists for you to go do it and, and and there's a ton of inspiration out there and i mean twitter and, and it's just full of, of interesting ideas that you can frankly steal and go and do in your own way there's sort of this need to really build a great product and there's a ton of people who have far deeper insights on how you can build a great product that i could ever write and then i think there's sort of like a, a need to supplement that with doing interesting things that that delight your target market or your customers and it can feel like the early days of doing those initiatives are just not worth it. I think the first t-shirt we launched, we sold like maybe 100 or 150, which felt like a very small amount for us to go sell. But I knew the 150 people who hold that t-shirt, I see them being worn around every crypto event I go to. And there's just this depth of association there that is super cool. Our, our podcast, it was listened to by a very small number of people to start. and still not a massive podcast. But every time I'm at a crypto conference, somebody's coming up to me and saying like, listen to your podcast and you just have this sort of like intimate relationship. I was standing in my hotel lobby and some guy came up and started talking to me in, in Paris. And uh, I thought we were just having a friendly conversation with tourists. And all of a sudden he starts talking about things that were way too pertinent. Like, how the hell do you know this? And that's, of course, listen to the podcast, you know, just knows about C-Club. And so we're we're trying to exponentially grow our audience or, or the people who pay attention to us. And the reality, e- even if you can get to that, the reality is in the early days, doubling off of a very small number is just not going to feel worth it. But once you get into that later stages of attention, the the multiplier that you can get off of doing these things is is huge. So yeah, I think we we spend a lot of time helping teams get incredibly clear on what the thing they're building that's just going to be incredibly useful to the people they're trying to build for. And then we spend a lot of time trying to build the social context around it that makes that seem inevitable or interesting or, or valuable. And that is an incredibly large design space and I think is Probably like the, the best insight I have there is that it really needs to come from the founder or the team. Like there needs to be a, a, the thing that's right for me to do a podcast or go do speaking or, or jamming with Peace note on some collectible thing that we want to go do. Probably not the right thing for somebody who's better at, at writing or at building software or at XYZ. So so much of it is like trying to get founders out of this mentality that there's a template to go run to get you to to the level of success. If they are building something that is truly coming from them and they want to exist in the world, and we really try to sort of select from that, then they're going to have the best insight on how to go build the 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 toys, the fun things around it that are really going to resonate with people like them. Maybe we start to do a few wrap-up questions.
0: I have a serious one and one mm-hmm. light one. The light one is just: Is it always nourishing and inspiring to meet See you club fanboys, or does it ever
2: get weird? Is it weird that I'm looking forward to the first time it gets weird? Tongue in cheek a little. I used to describe myself as an extrovert. I'm not an extrovert. When I realized that extroverts get energized by being a large group of people, I'm like, oh no, no, like I need, give me the recharge type thing. So Paris, a couple of weeks ago, it took me a week to recover from. And and here we go again. We're going to do another little big weekend at, at FWB Fest as we're recording this. Um... When I'm out at conferences, I get blown away that anybody's heard of C-Club, right? It's just like, what a what a crazy gift that is. And then I get frustrated that so many people haven't heard about C-Club. And I, then I'm like, oh, but that's a huge opportunity for us. Like, that's growth. That's, that's where we get to go. And I, I f- usually leave those things feeling like, man, I wish I could have been more present with the people that were there. I feel like there's always a million things that I want to go do, people I want to go talk to, and then there's people who want to talk to me. And it just feels far more superficial than I think I would truly want and also realize there's just not a way of, of doing that in that in that dynamic and I think a big thing that we've learned and I've learned personally is that I to create a type of value that we want to create we need to do a, a bunch of that sort of surface level broader stuff but really the, the core of C club is working deeply with the entrepreneurs that are, are building their big visions and it is absolutely wonderful to be able to get to build deeper relationships with with those folks and including folks like Joey
0: I love that, and when you when you look back over the
2: last couple years
0: not thinking about what has happened but rather the how what has been surprising about how it it has all come together
2: i remember it probably must have been like january february of 2021 and just that i would say that's probably when the nft bull market kicked off and just seeing the insane scale of uh, of a momentum and attention and and just feeling like it went from zero to a hundred so incredibly quick that it really I think caught me off guard and it wasn't even fully aware of of it until we were sort of probably already halfway down down the face so I think this sort of like the the speed and velocity of of how things can come to be in this network age just continue to to blow me away like I remember it, when I was working in the music business we helped Shane Coizen he's a, a poet who's canadian just lovely gentle soul incredible cultural artifact of canada it doesn't not a huge guy out in the world but we did a, a video that ended up going viral back in the i don't know it must have been 2013 sort of thing and just remember sitting there with him in, in a conference room and his phone was just buzzing and buzzing and buzzing and buzzing it would not stop and as your notifications coming through it's just this wave of attention that youtube brought to him just sort of washed washed over him. And within three days, he's on the main stage of TED talking to the the TED communities and he's raised a ton of money. So the speed, I think, have these moments where I sort of see the speed that our networked world can sort of dump onto somebody or just wrap somebody up in. And I think that's really what I sort of surprisingly experienced over the last couple of years was just this, I think i describe it as just waking up one day on the back of a horse that's galloping through a field and being like, all right, we just got to like, here we are, Let's steer this thing as best as we can. So yeah, the, the speed and velocity of that change. It continues to blow me away that people care about what we're doing because I've done, been in a place where, where that has, it just hasn't been the case, right? And, and the immense amount, amount of energy that we need to put in to make something that, that's relevant. And C-Club struck a chord from a from really early stage. And yeah, it, it continues to feel like a huge gift.
0: I got one more, unless you have something, Joey. So that's that's the how of the macro and... What about the, the how of Jess? So, the, I'd, I'd phrase that question as Have you been surprised at all at how you have shown up and grown and, and dealt with some of these challenges? What's been most surprising in the way that you have met these, met this journey?
2: I, I don't know if I would characterize my early career as, as immensely successful. Like, I felt like I was really searching for a thing. And I think I've been very blessed to be uniquely capable of doing this weird niche thing the fact that that these weird quirks that i have as, as a human being when applied to this specific category come as a superpower i think are pretty amazing all right guys
1: yeah jess thanks for being here thanks jess
0: okay guys thanks for listening and thanks as always to seed club for sponsoring the unlock and making this happen if you liked what you heard, please take a moment to subscribe and follow both The Unlock and Joey and I on Twitter. We will see you next time. Thanks, friends.